Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So out of curiosity this morning, what I'd like to do is ask you a question. Um, how many here have um, at least some church experience as you were growing up? Can we bring the lights up a little bit so I can see? You may be a Sunday school or a catechism class or something like that. You had some experience growing up in church. Okay. Um, so probably most of you will remember this. For those of you who didn't, okay, this takes audience participation. Um, what you do is you take your hand like this and you, you interli- interlock your fingers. Okay. And then you fold them together like this. Some of you remember this, okay? You remember this? It goes, this is the church, this is the steeple, open the doors, and there's all the people. Yeah, yeah. Some of you didn't grow up with any of that, you're going, what the? What was that all about? But it, it, it symbolizes, I think, from our earliest days, it's kind of ingrained in us that the church is a place. You know, it's a building with a steeple, and there's people inside of it, but, it, but it's a place, it's a destination. It's something we go to. We go to church or we haven't been to church in a while or we need to get our kids back into church or let's hurry up or we're going to be late for church. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, some of you need to say that a few times, but, but it, we think of it as a destination. It's a place that we go to. And, and as you grow up, as you mature a little bit, you begin to understand, no, it's not a place. It's not about a building. It's not about a program. It's really people. The church is the people. But as we looked at last week, as we started this series, Live Out Loud, it's not just people, it's, it's a movement of people. The, the book of Acts, which is the, the story of the birth of the church, the title of it is Acts, not opinions, not ideas, not intentions, Acts. And the whole story throughout the whole book of Acts is that God acts and his people act. The Holy Spirit moves and his people move along with it. And, and, and that God is working and God is at work and God is acting and, and his people are a part of that. And, and, and when you get to um, the end of chapter 2, and what we said um, is that we want to be a chapter 2 church. A chapter 2 church because Chapter 2 of the book of Acts, that's where the church is born. And at the end of chapter 2, there's this one paragraph, this summary statement that talks about life in the early church. Now, I don't want to get some idealized idea because not all these people were perfect. In fact, if you read the New Testament letters of Paul, you know they weren't perfect by a long shot. But, but they were moving in a direction. And there is this description, kind of a state of the church Um, statement that's made in the last paragraph of chapter two that describes what life looked like in that early church. And, and it's like I said, they weren't perfect, but they were moving in the direction. It was, here's where we are, but there's where we want to be. So we are moving with God. We are moving in this direction. And I think it's a beautiful picture, a beautiful picture of what God intends and designed for his church. And what I'd like us to do this morning is just look through that one paragraph because there's some real key elements, some some characteristics that were in that early church that I think are the things that we should aspire to because those people did that 2,000 years ago and that was passed on to another generation and another generation and here we are and now it's our turn. Are we going to move? Are we going to act? What will that look like for us? It's, It's a picture of the church at its best. If you want to follow along, there, if you've got one of the Bibles in the seat next to you, if you want to follow along, it's Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And, and if you don't have that, just, just listen to it. But I want you to listen carefully. 
says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, did anything jump out at you as we read that? Did you listen to that as you followed along? Did, did, did you notice anything? In, in case you didn't, we're, we're going to put it up on the screen. I'm going to ask you read this with me. But one of the things you'll notice is all, all the pronouns are plural. This was a movement of people. And I'd like you to read it out loud with me and just listen to what that looked like. Read with me, would you? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, this is a picture of the early church. And, and the thing that you keep seeing over and over again is it's a movement of, of the people. It's not the pastors devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And, and a few of them held a garage sale to get rid of their unwanted stuff. And they made a little bit of money, so they used it to help other people out. This was a movement that that, that the people were involved in this. And and it's a picture of what I believe God's design is for his church and what God's design is for our church. In the last couple of months, I've had opportunity to kind of just step back and pray and think and dream about what God's call for us as a church is. And I believe this is the description. This is where we're going, folks. This is what we want to see happen because this is God's design. Here's where we are. There's where we want to be. And I want to go through this this morning so that we would know what we are aspiring to, what we want to become, how we want to act, and how we want to move in that direction. It's really a picture of the church at its best. And I want us to take it to heart this morning and say, what if us, what if we became that church? What would it look like for Northgate at its best? And even make it a little bit more personal, what would it look like for me as a Christ follower at my best? And there's some characteristics here that I think these are the things we want to go for. If we're going to give ourselves to anything, this is what we're giving ourselves to. The church at its best. When we, when Northgate is at its best, when you and I are at our best, we are pursuing life transformation through Jesus Christ. See, a lot of people are kind of confused about this. A lot of Christians are kind of confused about this because we kind of think this is all about a heaven thing. You know, it's, it's like, um, I got my entry ticket and, and I know where I'm going to go when I die and that's, that's good. I'm good, I'm set, I can go on, okay? And, and that's not at all the picture of Christ followers in the New Testament. We kind of think it's, it's all about where I go when I die. And he says, no, no, it's, it's how you live here and now. 
And one of the things that you see in the early church is that they are constantly moving towards life transformation. They are pursuing it. They devote themselves to it. And sometimes when we just kind of think, well, it's about when I die. I mean, part of that, I think, is, is our fault as the church because we haven't made that message clear. We've kind of promoted this idea that, well, you want to make sure when you die, you go to heaven. And that's an important thing. Don't get me wrong. But, but we're not given the full, clear message. I think the other side of that is it's, it's kind of the way we are as human beings. It's, it's in our nature because scripture makes it clear we are created in God's image. We are, we are created with a spirit, with a soul. We are created with this inner being that is, that is in the image of God. And we have this longing for that. We have this longing for that. But the other thing that God gave us was this, this free will thing. We have the ability to choose. And, and that, kind of, that kind of fires this rebellious nature in us. And particularly for us who you know, grew up in the United States. Because it's like, you know, this is a free country. Don't tell me what I can and cannot do. I'm going to do my own thing. And so it's kind of ingrained in us. We've, we have this deep longing for God. We have this deep um, spirit and, and soul. And yet, and yet we... We also have this rebellious nature that we want to do our own thing. A couple of weeks ago, article in USA Today, um, the, the, head, the headline of the article was this, more Americans customize religion to fit their personal needs. And it was kind of a survey throughout the United States, kind of the state of religion, the state of spirituality in the United States. And what they found is that a lot of people, we are very spiritual beings. We just don't want it to mess up our lives. <laughs> We've got this designer religion going on. People say things like, well, I'm, a, I'm, I'm spiritual. I'm a spiritual person. And that's true because that's how we were designed. That's how we were created. We got that inner being. But see, we're, we're spiritual. We just don't want to get carried away. You know? We're a spiritual being, but we don't want it to cramp our style. We, we, want, to, we want to customize a religion that, that makes us feel good and takes care of us when we need it. But we don't have to bother with it when it calls on us to do something. And that's, that's, our, that's our human nature. And it's very, very clear that Jesus didn't come just so we could go to heaven. He came to change our lives. He came to give us a new life. And the early church, the early church pursued that. They devoted themselves. It wasn't a casual interest. It wasn't just an hour on a Sunday morning or so. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves. That word is an action word. Devoted. They moved toward. Literally means they they steadfastly pushed in this direction. That's what they did. They devoted themselves to this. This wasn't a casual, an hour a week kind of a deal. So this is my life now. This is the direction I'm going. And they pursued it with all their heart. Not just information or knowledge, but, but absorbing it and taking it to heart and saying, okay, how do, I, how, do I, how do I act differently because of this truth? And when the church is at its best, when the church is at its best, we are moving towards life transformation. We are pursuing that. It is the calling of our lives. It says every day, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. The realization is I can't do this on my own, but God is at work. And I will do what I need to do. As God moves in my life, I will move out as well. They pursued this life transformation. So 
Here's a real easy next step, because this is what I'm going to do for this, this whole sermon. I want to talk about what, what practical things can you do. And, and this one is just a real simple one. Just make a decision this morning. Change that act of the will to say, I will take personal responsibility for my own spiritual growth and development. Just make that decision. I will take that as my responsibility, not the church's responsibility, not the program of the church's responsibility. It's my responsibility. I will take that to heart for myself. That's a real easy first step. But if you don't make that first step, make that decision, chances are you'll just drift. And the church is at its best when we are pursuing this life transformation through Jesus Christ. Not in our own strength, but by what he is doing in our lives. When we are at our best, there's something else. We are devoting ourselves to authentic community. And the church at its best is committed to community. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Authentic community means letting my guard down. It means being open and honest about who I am. Now, we don't do that. We tend to keep ourselves very, very guarded. But community takes the risk of being authentic and genuine in our relationships. And that requires of a church family an acceptance that we take people as is. But we love each other and care enough about each other that we are here to help each other pursue spiritual transformation, life transformation. But we take each other right here where we are as is. And we are accepting of one another in that way. When we started Northgate about 20 years ago, one of the promises I made to the church, one of the things, one of the agreements that we made together and and I made with them as a pastor, I said, I will not perform for you. And you do not have to perform for me because it's not about performance. Now, we're going to help each other grow and we're going to challenge each other a little bit and we're going to stretch each other a little bit, but we're not going to be about performance. We're going to accept each other as is because it's not about performance. Now, here's the problem. I want people to like me. (laughs) And so I end up performing for them. (laughs) And that's one of those hard things. You just got to say, you know what? I'm not here to perform for you. Because ultimately, it really doesn't matter what you think about me. It matters what God thinks about me. And the same thing is true for you. But for that to happen, there needs to be this acceptance of one another as is. And we are here to help each other now move forward and grow. Now, what we have found, what we have found historically is that happens best in a smaller group setting, in groups of 10 to 12 people. It says they devote themselves not only to meeting together at the temple, but in their homes. And I think it's not just about the geographical location. It's about genuine relationships. Because that's what happens when you have people into your home. And you talk and you eat a meal together. And you get to know each other. The masks start to come off and you, you kind of get to know each other a little bit better. And when it talks about that, it's, it's, this, it's this devotion to say we will hang together with each other no matter what. That the church isn't Facebook, you know, where somebody sends you a request to be your friend and then you can click not now (laughs) or you hide them so you don't have to have them respond to it at all. You know, and it's not like, you know, you see a friend and they're posting all this stuff and you just go like, don't like, unfriend, (laughs) you know, 
That's not the church. That's Facebook. The church is, we're here together and we're in it together for good. And we will hang together through the ups and downs of life. We will hang together through our faults and our insecurities. We will hang together through our successes and our failures. But we commit ourselves to each other. That happens when the church, the people move in that direction. We've had our community groups. That's the whole idea behind our community groups. Now, we can't force it. You can't program it. We know that. But we can create an environment for it to happen. And that's why we encourage people to get involved in a community group. Because it's in the community group where at least you're, you're starting the process. And you might find that after a while, these are not the people that I really gravitate to most. That's okay. But, but be connected. Be connected. Because what happens, and what needs to happen, is the church cares for itself. The people care for each other. And we happen, it happens quite often that we find out at the church office like weeks later that somebody's been in the hospital. And we didn't even find out about it, but they were in a community group and their community group went and visited him in the hospital and provided meals for, for, uh, for him when he came home. And, and they, they cared for each other. And that's the way it's supposed to be. That's what we aspire to. This is where we are, but this is where we want to go want to be that church Paul put it this way he said be devoted to one another in love honor one another above yourselves now here's the problem the church is filled with people gossips and hypocrites irritating people exasperating people annoying people but maybe this will help you because you probably can think of a few of those people in those categories in your own life and maybe even in your church. But think about this. You might be that person to somebody else. <laughs> Just saying. You might be that person to somebody else. Because we're not all alike. And we're going to rub each other the wrong way. But we are committed and devoted to each other. We are devoted to authentic community. So here, here's a couple of real easy next steps. When we end our time together this morning and we walk out of here, one thing you can do, go and meet somebody you don't already know. Just go and talk to one person that you don't already know and get to know them. Get their name. Try to remember it. But, you know, just meet somebody. That's a real easy next step. If you're not in a community group, that's something else you can do. There might be other things that you can do that you can think of on your own, but I'm just trying to identify. Here's some real easy next steps, a, a starting point, and that's the whole thing with this. There's, there's got to be a starting point. You may not get there all at once, but there's got to be a starting point. And when the church is at its best, we are committed to pursuing genuine, authentic community. When the church is at its best, we are also choosing a lifestyle of generosity. I think this is probably the one thing that stands out more to me in this passage than anything else. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That is the thing that amazes me about this church. It is astounding to think about that because these were not wealthy people by any stretch of the imagination. Certainly they were not wealthy people by any of our standards. And yet... There was a spirit of generosity. They chose, they chose a lifestyle of generosity. Now, I don't know exactly what that looked like. What we do know is that some had more than others. 
And some had need and were in poverty. And we don't know how it all took place because it's not really described except just what we get right there. But we do get a little bit of a hint because later on in chapter 4, um, Luke writes about it some more. He said, all the believers were one in heart and mind. And I think that's the key. They were united in this. One in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. They had settled the ownership issue. And this is the ownership issue. All that I have is God's. Every bit of it. It all belongs to him. He has given some of it to me, but he owns it. He's the owner. I'm the manager. And that means, that means when he directs me to use some of the resources he's put into my hands to do something with, I do it. Because he's the owner. I'm just the manager. If you had somebody managing your portfolio and you told them to buy or sell and they didn't buy and sell and you lost a ton in the stock market this week, you'd be pretty angry at your manager. God has given to you and I abundantly. And I know, I know, you don't know the bills I have. I don't know the bills you have. But we have way more than most people. We got to settle the ownership issue. It says, wait, 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 it's not mine, it's God's. And if he directs me to use it for his purposes, I do that. I do that. That's the ownership issue. And let's just be honest, because we don't like to hear that. I know, talking about money, that makes people uncomfortable, makes people angry. It's his. And God knows that that is not our default position. It is not our default setting to be generous. For some of us, it is. There's a few people I know that that is. That's just naturally how they are. But for most of us, it is not. It's something we need to work towards. It's something that we need to start choosing and practicing. And God knows that about us. And so he instituted way, way, way back at the very beginning, this thing called the tithe. It means 10%. The 10% of come, whatever comes in, whatever comes away, 10% of that goes back to his work. Goes back to help others. Goes back to his kingdom's sake. See, that, now, let me tell you, when Betty and I first got married, that was, that was one of the things that we decided, and we didn't make a whole lot of money, but that was the one thing we did decide, that we were going to commit to that. And so we tithed off the net. And then after a while, we realized, you know what? There's this whole chunk of money that really is ours. I mean, the government takes it away from us, but it really is ours, which means it really is God's. And so we should be actually going 10% off our gross income. That took us a while to get to. Okay? But we started doing that. And then we had friends who were in certain ministries that we wanted to support them and what God was doing through them and their ministry. And so we took on other things that we started to give to. And then I took a trip to Uganda and I came home sponsoring a child. And then I took another trip and now every time I go to Uganda, I come back with another kid. And, 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 and so we are growing and we are stretching in this generosity thing because the mark of the early church and the mark of God's people is generosity. And, and really tithing, you know what it, I heard it described this way. Tithing is generosity with training wheels because we don't know how to, do, how to be generous. So God's helping us. Those are the training wheels. But, but the idea is that we move and we grow in generosity. Not that we figure out, okay, to the tenth of a percent, what to write that check out for. And I don't tell you my journey to pat myself on the back. What I'm telling you is there's a direction we want to move with our lives. 
It's a direction we want to move together as a church. And they chose. They didn't have to sell the property. They didn't have to sell their assets. They didn't have to give. They chose it. Generosity is something you choose. And when the church is at its best, the church is at its best, we are choosing a lifestyle of generosity. Now, again, here's a first step. Maybe right now with your situation, 10% is like, whoa, I, I don't have any. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. 1%, 2%, 3%, I don't know. But, but make it a priority. Make it a percentage. And plan for it in your budget. And just... See, they were so devoted to each other and so devoted to this cause that they would do whatever it took. And that's a picture of what I believe God wants for his church. The church is at its best when we are choosing a lifestyle of generosity. We are also at our best when we are living in anticipation of God's intervention. That's another thing about this early church. It says they devoted themselves to prayer. That everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. There was this belief and this trust that God is at work. God is at work among us. God is at work in my life. And they anticipated. There was a sense of awe, this reverence and belief and trust that God was actually involved in what we are doing here. That we're not doing this in our own strength. That there are things that are beyond our capabilities, beyond our capacity. And God is doing it. And they actually expected it to happen. And I think one of the greatest reasons to gather together for worship on, a, on an ongoing basis is to remind ourselves that we serve a God who is greater than anything we are facing this week. That we are serving a God who cares about every aspect of our lives, that we can entrust it to him, that there are aspects of our lives that are totally beyond our control and we can't do anything about it, but there is a God who is greater than that and we actually believe that he can do something. And we anticipate and look for what he's doing I wonder how that jives with you. What do you expect from God? Do you, do, you, do you expect anything? Do you really think God could work in your life, in your situation, in your circumstance, in your health, in your finances, whatever it might be? They actually believed it. They, they had this awe that God was at work. And they actually experienced God's power. Now, we read signs and wonders and we think about big healing miracles and all that kind of stuff. But let me tell you, folks, because I want you to understand, miracles happen all the time. When a couple heading toward divorce reconcile because of their faith in God's ability to restore the relationship, that's a miracle. When a broken family comes back together under the grace of God and given hope for a new future, that's a miracle. When an addict or an alcoholic overcomes that addiction by the power of God at work in their life, that is a miracle. And miracles happen all around us. But do we live? Do we live for the expectation of that? Do we really believe God would work in my life? In my friend's life? They did. They did. They expected things to happen. So here's another next step for you. Maybe you're facing what seems to you to be an insurmountable obstacle right now in your life. Might be, might be in your health might be in a relationship. Would you be willing to let go of something that you really have no control over anyway and just put it in God's hands and say, okay, God, I'm going to wait for your answer because I can't do anything more about this. That might be a little hard for you. There are times that's hard for me. (laughs) To let go. 
trust God. But when the church is at its best, that's what we do. And lastly, when Northgate's at its best, we're having an impact in our neighborhoods. We are making a difference in our world. It says that they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. In other words, that when people on the outside looked at these people, they said, I don't know if I believe what they believe, and I'm not sure I truly get where they're going, but wow, there's something happening. I may not believe what they're believing, but I cannot deny something's different in their life. There's something different about them that I need. They enjoyed the favor of all the people. It wasn't because, well, man, look at how much time they spend at church. It's because their lives, their everyday lives were different, and people saw that. And I think that's the, that's the church God wants us to be. That people look at our lives, how we live our lives, how we trust in God, how God provides for us, how God cares for us, how we trust Him even when He doesn't come through for us sometimes like we think He ought to but that there's a settled devotion and there's results that come from that. The people look at you and me and say, boy, I don't know if I believe what they believe, but there's something there. We have some friends that we have been for a number of years now sharing with and you know, trying to get them to come and visit our church or you know, list, you know, just kind of working to make that friendship become an eternal friendship. And... Uh, not too long ago, um, the wife said to my wife, she said, well, you know, I'm not a churchgoer. She said, if I ever went to a church, it would be your church. <laughs> I'm not a spiritual person, but boy, if I ever went anywhere spiritual, it would be with you. They're not there yet. But I'm hoping they're seeing something in our lives. Say, I, I want some of that. Because when the church is at its best, that's what happens. They enjoyed the favorites as of all the people. Now, I don't know that that could be said about the 21st century American church. But I think most people's perception of church is angry, judgmental, bigoted people. And the only way that's going to change, the only way that's going to change is if you and I, in individual personal relationships, give people another picture of something different about the church. And I believe that's the church God wants us to be. That's a chapter two church. And as I've said, I've had a couple of months to think about this and pray about this. This is where we're going. This is the movement we're a part of. We're not there yet, but that's where we're going. And we have decided as a church, as a leadership, that that's what we're pursuing. That's the picture. That's the picture of Northgate at its best. Now I'm going to ask you, to say, okay, I want to be a part of that. Whatever next step that might mean for me, I'm moving that direction too. Because that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.